We have some exciting stuff for this morning. How about the kids? Come on up. Bill said this is uh, the last week of Kids Jam. And these are my Kids Jam kids. And boy, has it been a lot of fun. And as he said, we've, had, we've been blessed. Just people come out and play on the um, place out there. And they hear all these kids laughing and stuff. And so we've had... Uh, neighbors from over there and neighbors from over there and their kids are out there playing and can we come in can we come in absolutely and so they've been able to come in and kind of get indoctrinated into what the word of God has to say how are you guys this morning good to see you we got a full a full crowd this morning that's great what is this yeah um this is my mom bell um and she rings it when trying to get her unruly ladies to calm down. Okay. There's a lesson. How many of you are joyful this morning? Yeah. Joy is kind of a funny thing. That's what God wants for us. Okay, we're going to start right here. One of our verses in the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, let's go. Is love. Okay, now do it backward. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they could probably do it. I know these two could probably do it. Um, what's the second one? What's the second one? Love. Joy. Joy. And so joy is something that God wants for us, and he wants it for us so much that he gives it to us as a gift. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings joy with him. But we have to experience the joy. We have to let it come out, and it's different than just being happy. How many of you are happy sometimes? I'm happy sometimes. But joy is something different in that it comes, instead of what's going on around us, it comes from inside of us. And that's where the Holy Spirit is, right? He's in there, and he brings joy as one of his gifts to each one of the that are Christians. Okay, so we have that joy, and it's in there. So we're going to talk about that, having joy inside of us, no matter what's going on outside. That's the thing. So I have, this, this is truly my happy place. I have joy when I'm here. Um, but every morning, this little human being comes to the top of the stairs at my house because we have a gate there so he doesn't fall down the stairs. And he shakes it. <laughs> Papa, Papa, Papa. And that brings me joy every day. And that's one of my happy places. And, and joyfulness. Okay, so you might say, Pastor Tim, what's the bell for? Is it really that loud? I have bad hearing, but... Um, okay, so what makes the bell ring? Well, it's, it's inside now. Is it ringing? No. That's right. And so what has to happen? I have to shake it, right? So sometimes that's, if we're this bell, life shakes us around, okay? And sometimes, sometimes it's hard. Life shakes us up when things don't go the way we want. But the clapper inside there is inside the bell, and it can ring, causing us to have joy even when the world is shaking us around, because joy comes from inside, not from the outside. Joy is something that God puts in us because he wants it for us so much. But we have issues. Boy, do we have issues. Okay. Things that God says should bring us joy. So let's just say nothing is going right. Funny story. Um, I wish I could remember all the details. So this was my sermon topic. Obviously, I'm trying to tie the sermon into the object lesson. And it was about joy in how do we handle uh, obstacles from the outside and stuff. And when things don't go right, if I could, I could tell you the list of the number of things that didn't go right. 
this week for me. And, you know, just simple stuff. I, I couldn't get the lawnmower to work the way I wanted it to. Uh, I, I lost my glasses three times. Um, and every time I turn around, it's like, ah! And I had to think, Tim, you're preaching a sermon on joy and trial. What are you doing? Of course, this is God trying to teach you something. Okay, so that's what we're trying to learn. And I had to learn some things to think about when the things on the outside of my life weren't going well. Okay, we had some things that this week did not go well. Okay, so what do I have to think about? Because that's what we have to do when things aren't good here. We give them to God, but then we have to think about, no, here, I'm going to give you a list of things to think about when we need joy in our life. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Never, never, never will God leave us alone. He's always, it's nice to have somebody there all the time, right? Sometimes we're all by ourselves and we might get scared, but but God's right there because he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will always love you and I loved you enough to die so that you could go to heaven and be with him all for eternity. No matter what happens on the outside, no matter how tough your life is, you know that God loves you. That's what makes you special. That's what my mom says. I believe her. God loves you. That's what makes you special. Yeah, always. He does. How about nothing ever happens that is beyond God's control? Sometimes it seems like that, right? I, I've kind of, I shouldn't say it to you, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. I am, feel guilty about the kind of world that we are leaving you guys. It's very difficult out there right now to be a kid with the way that the culture is and everything. I'm sorry about that, but I know you guys can handle it because you have Jesus. Nothing ever happens that that God isn't in control of. So when it seems like your world is out of control, it's not. He's there and he's he 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 sometimes he allows things to happen, but he's always in control and nothing is out of sight of God's control. And he says I'm always working things together. So in the end, it works out good for you. And then I will give you joy as a gift from my Holy Spirit. So when things don't go the way they're supposed to, like, you know, maybe you, you dropped your uh, book on your foot and, or you've left your homework at home instead of bringing it to school and you think, oh, I didn't study for that test. Yeah, I know. Why would you leave your homework at home? Yeah, because homework, right? Um, it's supposed to be at home. But you can still have joy. That's the point. God says, I'll give you joy even when your life around you is just not going really well. If you think about the things of God. That's what we have to do as adults. And in our life, sometimes are a little more complicated. Maybe not, but seems like it when we're older. And that's what we have to do. We have to think about God and find the joy that God intends for us to have, even when our lives are a mess. All right, thank you guys so much. Now, um, we don't have kids' church today, do we? Right, today because we're having communion Sunday. So now you get to go back and sit and listen to this lesson all again in adult language. All right. And you guys got to listen to it in kid language, which probably makes more sense. So we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 20, as it says up there. And I'll ring the bell if you don't pay attention. Kind of funny about Scripture. Um, Every once in a while, I'll go back and listen to somebody else's sermons. Uh, Don gave me a bunch of of sermons from this guy down in in, uh, Arizona, a church that they were when they were going back and forth. And he's really good. And I told Don I was being smart. Um, yeah, he's a lot like me. I, anyway. <clears throat> so I listened to his sermon on this. And it's funny. It's a good sermon on this particular passage. But it's, it's amazing with Scripture. And we talked about it before a little bit. Um, there's a lot in there. And his sermon, even though it was on the same passage, was different than mine. Because that's the way Scripture is. It's so deep. I mean, we're, we're, the truths are the same. And they're all in there. It's just when you're preparing, God speaks to you. And, and he brought some specific things to my mind regarding this passage. So that's, that's the one you're going to get. And if you don't like it, then just I'll give you the tape that Don gave me. You can go listen to his. But 
hopefully this is, this is what God was speaking to me about. And, and it's, it's going to be talking about the Thessalonians in dealing with opposition. And, and are they going to deal with opposition in man's way? Or are they going to deal with opposition God's way? And, and so we're going to see their response. And then we're going to ask ourselves, is that my response when I receive opposition? And hopefully it convicts us to examine our lives and ourselves to see. So there are three points in the sermon. The reality of the world that we live in, where is the opposition coming from, and what should be our response as children of God? Here's a problem that we have as human beings. When we have incorrect or unrealistic expectations, they create discouragement. When we have unrealistic or incorrect expectations, what did you expect your life to be like when you became a Christian? It's probably different than that. Because if you expected that God was going to smooth out the road in front of you as soon as you became a Christian, that, hey, I'm just, I'm doing what God wants here, and here I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and I'm going to sacrifice myself in serving others, well, God, then of course your end of the bargain will be that you're going to take away all of these problems and all of this opposition, and then I find out, in fact, the very opposite is true, Oh, man, God, what's the deal? And so we have to look at what is real about the world that we live in, even when we become Christians. And what can we expect from God? And, and, and what does he expect from us? And how do I have the kind of joy that God wants me to have in the midst of opposition? What do you think? What do you think? There, there, there are things that we have to do, even though the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And it says that, says in Romans, right? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you aren't saved. So come on, that happens now with believers. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, along with He, with, with, with Jesus and your salvation and, and this transition from an object of wrath to an object of mercy, love, and grace, then Jesus said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to leave the earth and I'm going to send back to you, my followers, the Holy Spirit. And we heard from the kids the gifts and fruit that he brings. So he gives you spiritually, supernaturally, a gift, which is different than the fruit, because the gifts are individual to each Christian, as the Spirit sees fit, as God sees fit, but the fruit, everybody gets. And so the Holy Spirit came in there, and his, his, his job is to change me into the image of Christ, and with him comes these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. All of those, and I got them out of order, my kids will tell you that, um, all of those things are in there, and the Holy Spirit has an unlimited amount. But one of the things that God clearly says over and over is, I want you to have joy in this life as hard as it is. And so in order to do that, you have to have the right perspective. We're going to talk about that. But first, let's take a look at the reality of the world that we live in today. One minute, I've got to get this out of the way of the TV. Okay. The curse... In order to really understand the opposition that we're in, I think you have to recognize where you live and really understand why it is the way it is. See, God created everything in the beginning. We, we, we look at that in Genesis, and you read the first couple chapters of Genesis, and you see how God, through a process, formed the, the universe and formed the earth and then put water in the water all congealed in, in, into oceans, and then he made dry land, and then he made plants, and then he made animals, and then he made human beings. And it was perfect. And God had created this environment and put these people in there so that he could fulfill all of their needs perfectly. And it was wonderful. 
It was wonderful. It's so wonderful, you can't imagine how wonderful it is. It's not as wonderful as what you're going to experience later if you're a Christian, but that was the perfect system. And you, you got to think, God, why didn't you just make it happen forever? But then God had created man in his, in his own image. One of the things about that is he gave man a will. Okay, and he, made, he gave man the ability to make decisions, but, but, but his will at that point was towards God, but he was deceived from the outside, and sin entered the world through man, Adam and Eve. You know the story, you know, they, they were deceived by the serpent, which is Satan, and they partook of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of, and at that point, it's, it's, it would seem like if maybe if you were standing next to Adam and Eve when they when they took a bite of the forbidden fruit that, that opened their eyes to sin and, and, the, and good and evil, maybe there wasn't this loud boom and maybe the big crack didn't happen down the middle of the earth. But it might as well have because I'm telling you, everything in your universe changed. At that instant, everything was changed. And it went from being perfect to being totally polluted and broken. It says in Genesis, uh, the curse came upon... Uh, so in, in the first verses there, it talks about... Um, uh, <clears throat> hold on here, where did I write those? Here we go. Okay, in Genesis 3, 14 through 19, it tells us about the curse that fell upon man in the, in the universe. And so... It starts out in, in uh, verses 14 and 15 where God curses Satan and he says, you are going to be the, the, the serpent that crawls around in the, in the, on your belly in the dust, but you will be against mankind from that point forward. That you are going to be at enmity with man. And is that true today? Yes, it is. Man and Satan are enemies. Satan is trying to get you into his camp, but it says in there after that that in, with mankind moving forward, he will crush your head, but, but you will bruise his heel. And that, that's a symbol of what's going to happen when Jesus comes, that Jesus will crush Satan and defeat sin and death, but, but Satan will, will strike his heel as the crucifixion happens and Jesus gives his life for our eternal salvation. That's what he's saying. But there was a curse. Now, how many of you, well, if you, if you heard the rest of the story, the bigger story, at some point, Satan was an angel, in fact, he was the most glorious of angels. And pride that he had, he wanted to be as God and be worshipped like God. And so he rebelled and about a third of the angels in heaven went with him. And they were, this is what happened. He was thrown out. And guess where God sent him? Right to live next to you. And so Satan comes down and he's on the earth. And so that is one of the problems that we have. So that curse happened. And then we have this for in, in Romans 8, 20 through 23. It says not only were human beings cursed, not only was Satan cursed, but the universe itself was cursed. It says right here, for creation was subjected to fertility. Not willingly, it wasn't the earth's fault or their choice, but because of him, meaning God, who subjected it to futility. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who've been first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What's that saying is the world itself knows this is wrong and it's groaning as in childbirth. Get us out of this broken state and cleanse us. And it says, and Paul's saying here too in Romans, not only is the earth doing that, but we too. Do you recognize that? As human beings, especially those that are saved, we know in our soul this is wrong, that we were not designed to live in this environment, that everything around us is cursed, that when sin entered the world, the whole initial plan of God was broken and everything is now polluted by sin. And so whether it's just we're living in a broken world where bad stuff happens and, and floods and famines and, and 
earthquakes and hurricanes and all of the things that happen in Murphy's Law, which absolutely is right. When you drop the toast, it's always going to fall peanut butter side down every time on the carpet. Because that's how it is. I don't know if your life is like that, but mine is definitely. This week was especially so, which I'm sure was God telling me, look, Tim, you're going to practice what you preach. I'm going to put it right up there and let's just see if you can find the joy. Had to work at it. Had to work at it. But, but what we know from Scripture is that we are broken, totally broken. I mean totally broken. That there's nothing really left. And here we live. And so we find ourselves when we come to Christ as these holy vessels with cracks. Living, though, living in an environment that is hostile. That's where you are. And, and as God purifies you more and more, the more and more you look around and detest the world that you live in. I mean, I look at it and I see, how can we be so evil? You, you look at the news, you look at the stories, and you see what the decisions we're making politically and economically in, 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 in our culture and our society. And you think, how in the world can we get so far away from God? Because we live in a world that's broken. And then we become Christians. And here's what the Bible says about that process and what will happen. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And so here's the reality. You are hated because you are part of the light. Now, we're going to see in this particular passage that the Thessalonians are being persecuted by their own people. And here they were just minding their own business and probably living their little pagan lives and worshiping idols. And here comes this guy, Paul, and the gospel message comes to them in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they do what God wants, and they embrace the gospel message, and the Holy Spirit changes their hearts and their minds, and they accept Christ as their Savior, and they're outspoken advocates of Christianity. And by golly, God, you got to be really happy about that, don't you? And then everything in their life comes cascading down on their heads and, and they're being thrown out. And if it's the kind of persecution that Paul says he, they're becoming and they're imitating, it's not fun. And you think, man, what's with that, God? It's because the world hates the light because it exposes their evil deeds and they're, they're scurrying around like little cockroaches trying to get out of the light because it brings guilt and it brings condemnation and it brings shame. And that's the world you live in as a light. So do not be surprised when opposition comes from the outside. This is not a sermon about the opposition that's coming from inside of your own sin nature. We've talked about that before and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But recognize that there is going to be opposition in your life coming from the outside when you become a Christian. Now, we're going to talk about that. Hopefully, that's what happens because your light is shining. You can put it under a bushel and be a, a covert Christian, an undercover Christian, because you don't want to be persecuted. But that's not what God has called us to do. And so that out of this progression, first the world is broken. Then we become saved. We become a light. So we're hated by the world. And in fact, what we actually become is aliens. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles or aliens to abstain from the passion of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Peter is acknowledging here in chapter 2, verse 11, that we really no longer belong here. This is really not your home anymore. This, you are in a battle, and you're in the battlefield, even though you are cleansed and being taken out eventually, for right now, you got to live in the battlefield. But you don't belong here. 
And hopefully you get that sense more and more every single day that you live and mature as a Christian that this is not my home. I don't really belong here. I have a home and it's a heavenly home. And someday God's going to take me there. But right now he has me here. And there's a reason. But he understands there's pain. And in fact, he, exam- he gave us the example of how to deal with pain with his son when he came. And he, and he had all these parables talking about how do we deal with it. And we had the parable of the, of the uh, Good Samaritan this week in Kids Jam. And it says, how do we deal with this? And this man was, was beaten up and, and you have to come alongside even when it costs you. So he recognizes that life is pain, but he also says still you have a responsibility here as Christians. How are you going to deal with this pain? How are you going to deal with this opposition? How are you going to deal with this trial? Because I have given you the ability to get through it with my joy. If you do the right things. We're going to talk about what those right things are. But right now, so we recognize that we are aliens here. Opposition is inevitable. Jesus says in John 16.33, in this life you will have trouble. John 16.33 you may, I came to you that you might have peace, for in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the wrath of God to God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God understands that we live in a world that's against us, but it is up to him to deal with it. Okay, so believe it or not, we're finally going to get into the passage, but first thing we're going to do is have Skylar come up and read it. So I just wanted you to know that opposition and trials are inevitable, and that is the world we live in. So if you're expecting something else, you're going to be disappointed. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 20. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last." But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of blessing before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So we're going to examine that, those passages a little closer just to see what, what exactly is it that they're going through and how are they responding to it. So let's see. Verses 14 and 15. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now this is Paul talking about, he has come from that. He has seen those churches in Judea and how they are being persecuted. Now, for you suffered the same things for, from your own countrymen that they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and all mankind. Okay, so in this particular verse, where is the opposition coming from? There are two things mentioned there. Coming from your own countrymen, which we know were not Christians or pagans. And so is their opposition coming to them from those outside of God? Yes. I'm not exactly sure why. We, don't, we aren't really told. Um, in the second part, where is it coming from? Where's the opposition? When, when Peter talks or when uh, Paul talks about this. You are the imitators of the churches in Judea who were opposed by... The Jews. And so opposition from those who say they're of God. So in the first one, the persecution is coming from those in their own country. 
that are not Christians, we have to assume. But he's, he's comparing it to the persecution he, he experienced from the Jews. And he's also comparing it then to, to say, okay, this is, again, he's going to do it later, the persecution that Christ received. But, but what is it? What is it about what they were doing? I heard a story once uh, from a guy who was a, actually a, uh, a non-practicing Jew, and he was uh, a radio personality, and there was some sort of a big brouhaha about Christianity, and so he was giving a little editorial, and he said, frankly, I just don't get it. Why is it that everybody seems to hate this group of people who claim that all they're here to do is share love and kindness? And he was, a, again, a non-practicing Jew. He said, I don't believe any of it, but I don't, I don't get Well, why is it? Because Scripture tells us darkness hates the light. And so is there going to be opposition from the world to Christianity? Absolutely. Look around yourself. Right now, it's probably scarier than any time I've ever experienced in my life. And I don't mean scarier in that I'm afraid of it, but... If you are a Christian now, there's going to be a cost. You're going, if you're going to proclaim yourself as a Christian and live the Christian life in our culture in the United States, it's going to start costing you something. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little, little rabbit trail here. Is, is that a good thing? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And so we're going to look at this and, and we're going to, because how we get through this opposition and if we can do it in joy is going to be our perspective. When the church is persecuted, it thrives. We have lived in a Christian nation so-called for a long enough time that there was for a long time, and especially depending on where you lived in our country, it was just the norm. You could live in the Bible Belt, and of course, Christianity is just a cool thing. And what happened? The same thing that happened when Christianity became the official religion of Rome. Everybody called themselves a Christian, and very few were. And, and so when the church is persecuted, when there is opposition from the world, it perfects us as, as, as in a cauldron to Melt out the dross and keep what is pure. And so every time the church is persecuted, it thrives. Persecution seems like a bad thing in our minds, but in the world of God, in the economy of salvation, it is God's process at making us better. And so we could look at the persecution that Paul went through, and we could look at the persecution that the Thessalonians were going through, and we say, there is, there is opposition to your Christianity. Why? Because all of a sudden you're worshiping God and just loving other people? Why should that be a problem? But it was. Part of the problem in our culture is that we aren't really demonstrating true Christianity in many instances when we wag our finger at people and say, God hates you for this or God hates you for that. Some of the persecution that the church is getting right now today is deserved. But true Christianity, even when you are doing it the way God wants, is still going to draw opposition from the world because they hate it. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Hated me before it hated you, as if <clears throat> if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we saw in that first, the first passages there in verse 14 uh, and 15, how the Thessalonians were being persecuted by their own people because the world hates them. And it, hated, it hates them because it hates Jesus, because it hates the light. That's just the way it is. But what about the next one? <clears throat> for brothers, you became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind. So you would think, okay, I get it. 
I'm going to get opposition from the world because they're just pagans and they, and they hate the light and they're ashamed of the light and, and it causes them to feel guilty and it causes them shame. And so they're going to re- reach out and lash out for that. But what about God's people? What about God's people? Can't, can't I be safe with God's people? Unfortunately, that's not always the case either. In fact, sometimes, well, I would say extremely tragic is the amount of stories of people who are wounded in their church, by their church. And the stories are out there. And and, and so opposition can come from within the people of God. There are a number of, of people that say they're Christians that aren't Christians. We see that in the parable of the soils. And sometimes there are tares among the wheat. But sometimes we lose the vision of what Christianity is supposed to be. And opposition to the true word of God comes from within the church itself. I shared that with you last week. How, the, how many of these seminaries are teaching people that the word of God is not the inerrant, completely inspired word. And so we're getting away from and compromising one of the things that happens when you don't deal with opposition correctly is that you compromise the truth of God's word. Because I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be that light. I don't want to get hammered down. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to keep quiet and I'm going to compromise my beliefs to line up with culture at the time so that I don't experience opposition from within the church or from without the church. And I can tell you that is a deadly, deadly decision. And so the second one we saw was opposition to Christianity from within the people of God, the Jewish nation. And we saw that and Paul experienced it in fact They are his biggest problem. Of all of the things, if you read through the book of Acts, if you read through all of the missionary journeys, you will see that the majority of the time when Paul is being persecuted, it's by his own people. Because they have, their eyes are closed and their hearts are stone and they didn't accept the Messiah when he came. And and so they're incensed when he talks about this man, Jesus, whom he calls God. And they, they drag him out in Philippi. Uh, the Jews of that, of that city uh, uh, throw him I- into jail. They get him, they, they stone him, and leave him for dead. But do you remember the story when, when, when they're in the Philippian jail, and then, and then and there's an earthquake and their chains are off? What, what were they doing? They were singing songs of praise and joy after being beaten and thrown into prison. Can you imagine? Joy available in that circumstances, even when the persecution you're getting is from the people that you dearly love and expect to support you. And so we see opposition coming from the outside, from pagans, and we see it from a, from a, a worldly view that is completely contrary to the things of Christianity. We see it now today, every day, something and, 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 it's, and it used to be, okay, I get it. I know you guys are Christians and you're, and, you're, and you're following these rules. We don't agree, but we don't hate you for it. We just don't agree. Now, if you don't agree with the world's view of how things are supposed to work, you are hated for it. Be ready, but embrace it. This is God cleaning house to find out who are the milquetoast Christians and who are the ones that are really committed to the truth of God's word. This is a shaking of the fence. Be ready. Don't be afraid. Be ready and face it with courage and with joy. So there's persecution coming from the outside. There's persecution now in Christianity from the inside. The same way that Paul was persecuted by the Jews, Christians that are true Christians that are unwilling to compromise are going to come more and more under fire from people within the church. Why is it that we're so bigoted that we don't accept the homosexual lifestyle? I can't believe it. That church is so evil. That is happening throughout our country as this pressure to accept culture's definition of sexuality and identity. And most are caving in. And so you're, you could very, not in this church, not while I'm here, 
But you're going to go somewhere and maybe visit other churches where if you don't accept that as a viable alternative, you are going to be ostracized. Just be joyful when it comes. And so opposition coming from the outside, opposition coming from the inside, and opposition, oh, here's when John 16, 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They even killed the prophets thinking we're doing God's will. There's a group out there right now, and this is persecution from the outside, who says, Allah is great, kill all the infidels. And they think they're doing God's will. And so they flew airplanes into buildings in September 11. That opposition is there. It's becoming more and more oppressive all the time. But you have nothing to fear as children of God if you will just respond to it God's way. But then there's the last one. In verses 17 and 18, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavored to more eagerly and with great desire see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, Paul, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So where's this third level of opposition coming from? Satanic. And so you're going to be opposed by the world. You're going to be opposed sometimes by people who call themselves Christians. But you're definitely being opposed by Satan. It says Satan's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to whom he will devour. There is a battle going on. You do not see it, but it is real. It is real, and it is anti-God and anti-Christian. And there is a spiritual battle going on all the time because Satan is alive and well in planet Earth, and he hates you. Now, I know we have a tendency sometimes to put more on that than should be because it's not, Satan is not more powerful than God, and Satan isn't, didn't cause me to lose my glasses three times. He didn't. That was just me. Sometimes it seems like the devil, but, but the Satan is out there, and trust me, he does not like God winning. But here's what we know. Even though we're in the war, the battle's already won. The war is already won. We're in the battle now, but, but the outcome has already been assured. We win, but right now it's hard, and Satan is still battling around because he knows his time is short, and he knows his final destiny, and so he's angry. And so we are in a battle against Satan in this world, in your own life, and in the world in general against Christianity. So pray and arm yourself with the armor of God because those arrows of opposition are real. Okay, so there we have it. Three levels of opposition. Outside the church, inside the church, and Satan. So what's our response supposed to be? How are we going to deal with this? What should the Christian's response be? Well, how do the Thessalonians respond? <clears throat> we look back at, at chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, and yet with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so what was their response to being persecuted? Joy. How in the world did they do that? You become Christians and you think your life is supposed to be better and it's worse from the outside. It's worse from the outside because you've angered the world, you've angered some within the church, and you've angered Satan. Let the games begin, and they do. And so we look at some other things and we see what else did they do. We give thanks to God always for all of you, says Paul in verse, uh, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God. After all this persecution, after this horrible upending of your lives, after all the bad things that happened to you when you were faithful to God, we saw before God our Father your work of, work of faith, your labors of love, and your steadfastness and hope. For Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's how they responded. With <clears throat> work in faith, laboring in love, and being steadfast in hope. And that is what's available to us today. This is what God's response can be to opposition and trial. How do we get there is the question. How 
do we get there? It's a matter of perspective. So we look at verses 15 and 16. Who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed of all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So the point I want to make with this particular passage is this is going on. And he's talking about the Jews and they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and they drove us out and they're against God and they opposed all mankind because mankind needs the message of the gospel and they're stopping it from going out or they're trying to hinder it from going out. And so they're filling up the measure of their sins. They're doing the worst possible thing that any human being could do and that is hinder the message of hope, of salvation through Christ. But what does it say? Does it say, yes, and my wrath has come upon them at last? No. God's wrath. Because here's what we need to know, that in the end, God is going to take care of it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so rather than getting angry from the opposition, rather than being despising the people, and we're out there saying, God hates you people that that are sinners. No, we are not supposed to do that. We are not supposed to be angry or bitter. We're supposed to say, in the end, God's going to deal with it. In the end, God's going to win. This is not my battle. I am not here to fix the rest of the world or legislate morality or, or just get all the pagans to act like Christians so my world can be better. That is not the task that God has given us. He's saying, look, you be faithful to what I've given you. I will deal with the outcome in the end. And trust me, it will be just or it will be grace. There are no other options. And so God is going to deal with this. It is God's wrath that they are building up. It is not up to you to fight and and punish people for their sins. That is God's job. We are here to share the hope that we have with everyone so that we can increase the family of God here on earth. And so instead of being angry about it, and this is a problem. It's a problem for me. I I see the news and I see all the sin. I see all the evil. I see all the pain. And I get angry and I want to do something, and I'm indignant towards those people. And i got to think, you know what? They're just pagans being pagans. That is up to God to deal with. What I need to do is love them and share the hope that I have with them and let God have the outcomes. And so the proper response is not to get angry towards the people that are opposing you, but to have faith and trust in God that in the end, He will do it. So there are two other ways of dealing with this by perspective. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ in our coming? Is it not you? Paul is looking at this. For you are our glory and our joy. And he's looking at the longer picture. What he's saying is, is this. Look. What is our hope or crown or joy of boasting or crown or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. He is looking at the longer term to say, look, even though we are going through persecution now, I know in the end, by being faithful, you guys, you guys are my crown. You got when I stand in front of Jesus, I, I get a, I get to claim you guys. And see that, that my reward in heaven for being faithful now, I will have. And so in order to deal with the opposition that I'm facing in this life, I need to keep my perspective on the bigger picture. So there are two verses, two passages that you've heard from me that will help you to understand how to deal with opposition. Number one is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I quote those a lot. See if I had that in here. I might have. Nope. Okay. So this is the one where you have to buy in to the fact that trials are perfecting you, that opposition is there for your good. And if you don't do that, you're going to have a very difficult time dealing properly with persecution or trials or opposition and still have joy. Because it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be complete and mature lacking in nothing 
I hated that verse when I first read it because my life was in a shambles and I was anything but joy. I was angry at God for the things that were going on. Some of them, probably most of them, were self-inflicted, but nonetheless, they were trials and I was angry. Why was I angry? Why was I bitter at God? Why was I feeling sorry for myself that life is just too hard because I didn't recognize or buy into the very, very important truth that being transformed back into the image of Jesus was the second most important thing I could ever accomplish in this life. The first one was being saved. Okay, so then I should be here and say, well, I'm not asking for trial, but I'm going to be joyful in trial because I know that the most wonderful thing that can happen to me right now in this life is to be transformed to the image of Jesus. And in order to do that, the most effective tool God has is trial. And so if you don't buy into that, that, that being transformed is, is really a, the best thing you can do, then you're going to be angry and resentful when trials come. And so God's telling us through this verse, there is opposition, yes. This world is hard, yes. In this life you will have trouble, yes. But if you will just look at the bigger picture and see, I am using these trials to conform you to the image of God. And that is where peace and joy and satisfaction exist. That's what I want for you in this life. And in order to get there, it's a tough Painful journey, but I'm using these trials to make you mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I can use that now. And I can say the perspective is on the today. The next passage, however, is one I also use a lot, and I used this last year predominantly. And let's see if I actually put that on the screen. I think I did. And it's this one, and you've heard me say it a number of times. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. So in this you rejoice. And in the this was those things, that you have an inheritance that can never go away, that you're going to be in heaven with God forever in the most wonderful environment. You can't even imagine it so good. And so I have to have a perspective change that says when life is hard, i got to remember, I'm not of this world anymore. This is not my home anymore. I don't have an expectations of having all my need met now. I'm looking forward to this one, and it's going to give me the strength and courage to sustain through the one I'm living in now. And so in this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this last year when things were so tough, I had to, God had given me these verses and I had to go there a lot. Life is hard, God. These things are going on that are so painful. I don't know what to do. Well, Tim, here's what I did for you. I took you from eternal death to eternal life. I took you from being an object of my wrath, which you don't want to experience. We talked about it yesterday morning, 10 minutes in hell and 10 minutes in heaven. You're going to have no problems understanding how wonderful the next one's going to be. But here we live, and it doesn't take very long for just being transformed from death to life is not enough. I want joy too now. It's, it's good, God, to think about that, that okay, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to go to heaven. But that's only because you don't understand the reality of both of those. If you really knew what hell was like or what heaven was like, you wouldn't have any problem with the issues of today. It would all be the small stuff. And so God is saying, look, I need you to trust me. I need, when things are hard here, I need you to think about what I've already done and where you're going. And that will sustain you and give you joy in the midst of opposition. And that's where we need to go, to the truth of God's word. The same way I gave those kids in that object lesson, those things to cling on to when things are hard 
Those are the things that we need to, to be clinging on to as Christians, as adults. Hanging on to the promises of God when life gets hard, when the opposition is heavy, when life is really tearing us apart. We need to go to God and recognize what we already have and what's available to us through the Holy Spirit. You can. You can thrive in opposition if you keep the proper perspective. Starting now, surrender it all. Surrender it all to God and find peace, find joy, find satisfaction. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, um, we really struggle in this life. We do, and, and you see that in us, and, and you know that we do. You know it's hard, and you know that it's, it was part of the trials that your son experienced when he came, and the opposition, the one of God, the only son of God that came here was perfect and only had love in his heart and was persecuted and killed because he was the light. And so, Lord... It's nothing new, and you, you experienced it yourself, and so you know how hard this life is, and yet you've promised us hope for the next one and joy in the current one. Lord, help us to grab hold of that. If we just look at our trials the right way and rely on you, we can find the kind of abundant life now that you intend for us all to have. So, Lord, I just pray that that's the work that you'll do in us this week, that you'll just give us that joy even when times are hard. And in that, you'll be glorified, and it will be for our good. So we just thank you and praise you in what you're going to do in us and through us. In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Now we need the guys to come forward. Sorry, I'm running you late today for communion. So... Communion is a, is a time when we remember. It's a memorial service. Why don't you guys just go ahead and start passing them out, and then while I'm talking, we can get this thing going. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a service where it's a memorial where we remember. In fact, Jesus says it over and over, right? Remember when you're doing this. Remember what? Remember how I handled opposition for one thing. So, so in this, we share in the, the salvation and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is imputed to us through his sacrifice on the cross. That's what we're celebrating. It's a celebration and a memorial. You guys can go ahead and start passing it out. Um, so it's a celebration and a memorial, and we are celebrating the fact that Jesus died for our sins and the fact that we got to take advantage of that and be transferred from being an object of wrath to an object of God's love, mercy, and grace. But we're also remembering Christ's sacrifice and honoring his faithfulness when opposition came. And the fact that he came and all he did was to love people. All he did was to give himself. And he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so we are baptized into the crucifixion of Christ as we give our lives in service of others. And in that way, we imitate Christ. And with that comes opposition. And so this is a memorial of Christ's sacrifice, but it is also a reminder that we too have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And therefore, God has given us both permission and the ability to love others sacrificially. And that's what, why we come together. And that's why we're here as a family. And so with this service of communion, we're going to honor Christ's sacrifice. We're going to celebrate the fact that we take advantage of his sacrifice to gain salvation. And then we're going to participate in the crucifixion of Christ as we give ourselves as sacrifices on a cross to serve God sacrificially. So we, um, we, we take communion together. So as, when everybody gets some, then we will um, share together. And I'll read a passage here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11.
Okay, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, For what I received from the Lord, that I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this, this memorial that you give us, this symbol that we get to partake in so that we can remember what it cost you to buy us back. So Lord, we are ever grateful. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.